The famous Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, there is a, in the last stanza, there's a line in that stanza that says this, we hear the Christmas angels, their great glad tidings tell. Well, that's what we're doing in this series, this Advent series, addresses from the Advent angels. We're hearing those addresses, those songs that the angels bring. And today we're going to be looking at one from Matthew's gospel. We read one from Luke last week and saw the song of the angels sang and the message, the address that came, uh, not so much the song, but the address that came from the angels to Mary. Today, we look at what the angel has to say to Joseph. And our reading of the scripture comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And I once again would remind you, this is not the word of men, but the word of the living God. Hear it with careful attention. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill that which the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph, Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he, and he called his name Jesus. May God add the blessing to the reading of this, his holy and inspired word. Let's pray. Father, once again, give us understanding and help us, Lord, to hear the truth you have for us today. And Father, may it make our love and faith grow deeper in your blessed Son, the only author of salvation. And we pray in his name. Amen. In this series, hearing these addresses of the Advent angels, uh, there are quite a, a cast of characters uh, in here. Uh, particularly the, the different folks that, uh, to whom the addresses are given. 
But as we think about all those associated with these stories of the nativity, of the birth of Jesus, and we think of these colorful and memorable characters, we recognize particularly the angels and their speaking parts, our center stage. It's the angels that are prominent as they come and deliver these messages. These, they function as heralds from God to deliver these messages to the players. And the players often respond and have contributions that they make or worshiping responses or even going out and becoming heralds themselves. But not so with today's character in the story. Oddly enough, Joseph has no speaking part. He's utterly the lone, silent member of the cast today. Angels bring heavenly greetings. Mary and Zechariah, we saw last week, and Zechariah, if we were to read that portion of the, the deliverance to him, there's praise-filled solos that they sing. Wise men come and respond with worship, and shepherds go out and become preachers and heralds of the good news. But not Joseph. He's quiet. He's silent as a church mouse. No sound bites, no quotes, just silence. But as we all know, what's the expression say? Actions often speak louder than words. Certainly, that's true in our story today as we look at the faith of Joseph and his response to the angel's challenging message. And through his silent actions, Joseph will teach us some important lessons today if we'll listen. So here's what we're going to do, just like last week. First of all, understand to whom the address came and a little bit about him, Joseph, So the address came to Joseph, and secondly, what was the address of the angel concerning? And it's that concern of the kingdom. Excuse me, uh, that was last week, of salvation. This week, it's salvation. That's what the angel's address is all about. To whom it's given, Joseph, what it's about, salvation. So the angel's address to Joseph, let's look at that first. Step with me, if you will, back in time to about 3 B.C. Somewhere along in that time frame, that general time frame, we're not exactly sure. But there, if you put yourself in the shoes of a young Jewish tradesman by the name of Joseph, and it's an exciting time in Joseph's life, he's engaged He's more than engaged. He's very powerfully, and we've already talked about that last week, betrothal is virtually a marriage just not yet consummated. It is. It has got all the bindings. It is a serious relationship. It is definitely going to result in marriage in time. And yet, here is this man with all this hope and promise of, of soon to be taking in his new bride to be his wife. Something scandalous has happened. Something that is rocking his world. His bride-to-be, his true love, his faithful one, chosen, is pregnant. And he's had nothing to do with it. 
Imagine his disappointment. His dreams of marriage to this young girl seemed shattered. He was up against the wall of inescapable societal humiliation. That was what was going to happen. There was no way around it. His reputation would be utterly ruined unless he divorced her. And that would be the kinder thing. He could actually bring charges and potentially have her stoned. But he did not make that choice. But he felt he had no other recourse but to divorce her quietly. But not to make a big deal out of it. Heartbroken and betrayed. How would he respond? He could have done, as I said, publicly put her to shame. And her explanation of the pregnancy was inconceivable. (laughs) Some of you know that comes from Princess Bride, don't you? (laughs) It's inconceivable. Even blasphemous. To say that God was the author of the Holy Spirit, was the author of this child? Imagine telling that story. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Right. And yet, Joseph chooses the path of mercy. Look, Look again at verse 19. And her husband being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Before there's any divine explanation about what's going to happen, now that's coming through the angel, but before that happens, Joseph chooses mercy, not malice. He chooses He doesn't explode. He doesn't rage. He could have demanded in bitter a sentence for her, but instead he chooses righteous mercy. Says something about Joseph, doesn't it? Shows you something of, of what perhaps the grace of God had done in his heart for him to not be so hard, but to be rather so merciful. You may never have been in a position, hopefully, and not like Joseph. That's a one once in once in forever. Uh, but you've been in situations where you've been wronged, deeply wronged, maybe hurt severely, crushed, perhaps. How have you responded and reacted to that? Probably like me, not always well. But in that, Joseph finds grace, and he. It responds in this way. But the story's not over, right? The story's not over. We know that after this commitment of quiet mercy, Joseph is visited by an angel. This heavenly being that we really don't know what they look like. None of us have seen an angel in the presence like this angel came. But this angel that visits Joseph in his dream comes with a message 
And after he hears this message from the angel, Joseph is not just a practitioner now of discreet, quiet mercy, but he becomes one who is willing to embrace the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the inconceivable. He takes her as his wife, based on what the angel tells him, that she is not pregnant by a man, but by the Holy Spirit of God. God the Holy Spirit. And he takes her, embraces her shame and disgrace as his own, because he knows that's how she's going to be seen by everyone else. And not just being merciful to quietly put her away. Now he says, no, I will come around her. I will take her to be my bride. And I will embrace her shame and disgrace. And I will become her and her child's protector. Now that is a courageous and brave faith. Do you understand that that is a mini picture of the gospel. That is a little Christ, as Luther would say. Joseph was a little Jesus, a little Christ, because of the way he responded, because that is exactly what is at the heart of the gospel itself. Do you realize that? What do you mean? In other words, God did something akin to what Joseph did, but oh, so much greater. Embrace of disgrace. You see, that's what God did in sending his son. God himself took on our disgraceful state and bore our penalty and redeemed us. You see, that's what we see in the story of the prodigal son, is it not? We call it the prodigal son. Keller calls it prodigal God because the one that's really blowing your mind here is God. It's not about the boys. It's about what kind of God would do this that would ultimately shame himself. And that's what the father does in running to his son. He disgraces himself. It's the picture of a prodigal, an unbelievable, wildly beyond imagination, lucrative love that would chase down and come for sinners like you and me. Joseph embraced that disgrace, and God had to do that to find you and to find me. So we see a picture of that in Joseph's response. But the angel's address was not just to Joseph. It was about something very important, about salvation. In Joseph's dream, God gave Joseph a glimpse of the divine plan. He let him pull back the curtain, and he let him see a glimpse of what was coming. Because he told Joseph that Mary's son would be called Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. He said, that's what this is all coming down to. The Savior that you've been waiting for, needing and wanting, he's here 
It's coming through what God has done in Mary. Interesting, he says, you'll give him the name Jesus, and that name Jesus is the same name Yeshua in the Old Testament. Joshua, which we refer to Joshua. Yeshua, and both names mean the same thing. Savior or the Lord of salvation. Jesus is coming as the Lord of salvation. That's what's being revealed to Joseph and to us. And from that name, we learn Jesus' mission to the earth. Why did he come? He came to save his people from their sins. He came to redeem his people. But do you know, redemption is costly. Redemption does not come without a great price. Too bad Rich Sander isn't here anymore because he was a diehard Dodger fan. There may be a few of you. Uh, He's going all the way back to Brooklyn. Uh, there may be a few of you uh, that like the Dodgers, and they came real close uh, last week, broke, broke Rich's heart, I know. Um, and, uh, but back in 19, I believe it was uh, 1965, the Dodgers won their last World Series or not their last one, but uh, won a World Series um, uh, pennant uh, uh, championship. And um, there was a hero in that championship that, that uh, played such a significant role. His name was Lou Johnson. And uh, he was celebrated and, you know, lauded and praised. He had a clutch hit, uh, you know, had played such an important role. But pretty soon after that, his career ended And he ended up in a very bad place. And for 30 years, he was trying to recover the championship ring that he had deserved and won. But he lost it to a drug dealer in 1971. And his life was consumed with drugs and alcohol abuse, and it cost him everything. It cost him that magical season, including his uniform, his glove, his bat, and his championship ring, and he had been trying to get it for 30 years. Well, in 2001, when the Dodgers president, Bob Graziano, heard that it was about, that ring was about to be sold on the internet at auction, he quickly went and paid uh, $3,457 before it ever went on the market to be auctioned. And he bought that ring and he gave it back to Lou Johnson. Do you understand what, what that was? What was he doing? He was doing for Lou what Lou could not ever do for himself. And my friends, that is exactly what salvation is. It's not something you work for. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can achieve. It is humbly receiving a gift that is given and that was paid for with an awesome and awful price. So great that it could redeem and ransom you from your sins, no matter where you have been, what you have done. If you receive that gift from God of his son, Jesus Christ, with faith in him. You see, this time a year, 
we find the slogan, Jesus is the reason for the season everywhere, don't we? You can find them Christmas ornaments. It's on uh, bumper stickers. It's plastered on, on somebody's house and lights or somewhere in a, a sign somewhere in the yard or at work or whatever. It's everywhere. But that's not really true. Do you realize that? Jesus is the reason for the season. That's not really true. Why? Because, my fellow sinners, you and I are the reason for the season. You and I, as sinners, are the reason for the season. What do I mean? I mean, we're the reason that Jesus had to come and leave the glories of heaven. Light of the world, you step down into what? A wonderful place? No, into darkness. Christ came to save us, and if not for that, why did he come? Why didn't he just stay if you and I can get it done? Somehow, some way, just trying long enough and hard enough. You see, we are the reason the Son of God came. The reason he had to leave the glories of heaven. Now, I know there's another way, of course, you can say Jesus is the reason for the season, meaning it's all about him. I get that. But I wanted you to, to, to contrast that and understand he would have not had to come and display that were it not for our sinfulness and our helplessness and our lostness. Now, did you remember what you read in verses 22 through 23? Listen again. This is really cool. And this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, what's that referring to? What's the, what's the angel telling him there? As the angel gave that announcement and as Matthew comments on this. Well, that is a quote from the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 where God is basically challenging. Normally God doesn't do a lot of this, but he does it with our giving and he does it here. And he says to even a not a good king, either a wicked king, that's not doing the right thing, but he says, hey, Ahaz, ask me for a sign. And Ahaz says, oh, no, I, I, I wouldn't want to do that. And he said, okay, fine, I'll give you a sign. And there'll be no mistake about my sign that you'll know there's a God in Israel. When this happens, you will know there's a God in Israel. And he's real, and he's the true and the living God. And he's the one who brings salvation to the undeserving to the helpless. It's this sign, the sign of a virgin. You see, what is happening here? The prophet Isaiah was trying to tell him that God was not done with Judah. He wasn't done with his people. And his promise to David was still in effect. And that promise traced all the way back to where? Genesis three fifteen. Where God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
Now, what did that mean? Why did it say offspring of the woman? Why didn't it say the offspring of the man and the woman? Because that's not what this offspring would be. This is an offspring that is virgin conceived the God-man. There is no man in the equation. There is no husband. But that which is of hers of the Holy Spirit. You see, that is the sign. How can a child be the offspring of a woman? The angel tells her. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. No relations, no sexual relations. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And it's said in the middle of that passage, and it's reinforced again at the end, three times. So we don't get it or miss getting it. A virgin birth. You see, if there's not a virgin birth, there's no sign. A young girl giving birth, what's the sign in that? That's no sign. That's no mark of anything significant, anything beyond belief. But when a virgin, without ever knowing a man, conceives a child that will become the King of kings and Lord of lords, that, that is a sign to take note of. You see, notice also that Joseph would be passive, folks. He would be passive in this whole thing. In the coming of God's salvation, he wouldn't contribute anything but his waiting, quiet faith. Joseph contributed his anticipation and his waiting. That's all. He didn't add anything to this. He was passive in the coming of this kind of salvation that would save sinners from their sin. Why is it? Why is it that we just keep trying to improve upon that which God alone can do? Why do we try to add our part? Help Jesus out. Help God out by doing this and doing that in hopes that that will get us a better score. You can't beat perfection. All that is necessary for salvation has already been done in Jesus Christ. And anything else you try to add to it, my friend, is blasphemy and an insult to the deity, to God. When you try to bring your filthy rags, Isaiah calls, your best works, your righteousness, he said it's like filthy rags to God. He said when you try to do that, you are insulting the spirit of grace and the God of heaven that gave you his only son. Your problem in mind is so great, nothing less than that can do it. And why do we ever think that we can ever add to it? And if you're still trying to do it, stop it. Drop it. Be done with it. All that you ever are and ever hope to be has already been done and achieved in him. That's the salvation that can be a sinner's by faith and an embrace of faith in Jesus. You see, that was the address of the angel to Joseph then, and it's the address 
God is sending and giving to you today through the record of this preserved by his Holy Spirit so that you today, no matter where you are, where you've been, what you've done, you can come home. You can come home to a salvation already achieved and accomplished and available to you for the asking. It's already gift wrapped. It's already been given. It's already been done. But you have to receive it. You have to let go of everything else and embrace it with empty hands, the gift that has been given. Receive it. Embrace it. And then you will know the salvation that brings God near to you wherever you are, wherever you have been. Then you will hear the Christmas angels. Their great glad tidings bring. Oh, come with us. Abide with us. Our Lord, Emmanuel. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, again for being our Emmanuel, for sending the Savior we so desperately needed and need still. Lord, we thank you for him. We thank you that the gift has already been given and accomplished, and we can't add anything to it. Forgive us when we've tried, and if we're still doing it, help us to stop it now today. This be the end of it. Drive a stake of holly through the heart of all of our goodness and righteousness, Lord, and everything that we would think would cause you to love us. You've already shown that you love us by sending your son. Help us receive your gift. Even as we continue, we who have received it, Lord, as we continue to receive it with gratitude, continuing to lean in and trust in Jesus day by day, we thank you that he paid it all. All to him we owe. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.